episode of Smile You Love Us, a podcast where we break down teen movies, what they mean to us, and their contribution to pop culture as a whole. Or lack thereof. Or lack thereof. We are also covering very bad teen movies. Yeah, there but are also some... great ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my name is Blythe. I am 13 going on 33, and I am the elder half of Smile You Love Us. You are the elder half. Uh, yeah, I'm Erin. I'm still in my 20s for a few more months. Um, I Blythe and I have been friends for about five years now, and we talk about teen movies a lot, um, and we didn't really realize it until a few weeks ago that we might be yeah. able to structure these tangents. Yeah, that this is maybe our calling. Yeah, or maybe not. But uh, we certainly have loved rewatching horror movies this week, uh, and and are excited to get started. So the format of Smiley You Love Us is that every week we'll be discussing three to five teen movies grouped together by a theme of our choosing. We have two rules that we're going to do our best to try and stick to, which is one, that our protagonists protagonists must be in high school or very recently graduated, and two, we are only covering movies made in the United States for now because there are like 200 movies on yes, our list. Yes, it's a long list. Um, we want them to be American teens so that it can be somewhat of a universal experience. And somewhat, in our wildest dreams, relatable to our high school experiences. Although, it certainly, uh, I never had anything like any of these movies happen to me. <laughs> um, we reserve the right to change these rules at yes, any time. Yes, there are rules. Uh, because I don't really feel like I need to explain my art to you. No, <laughs> no, same. Or my tastes. <laughs> Although, I am going to be explaining my tastes for the next 45 minutes. <laughs> Uh, so, this week's episode is about one great day. Uh, we, we uh, oh no, I was going to say, we are recording today's podcast at one thirty-seven exactly, because it's an excellent time, and because it's, the theme of today's episode is one epic day. One epic day. We're not recording at one thirty-seven. It was a joke, Erin. I didn't get it. It's from Rex Manning Day. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> I was like... I was like, why does that time seem valuable? Do we have something to do then? It's an excellent time. Um, Blythe and I actually are also going to be having one great day after the recording of this pod. Yeah, I hope we get some Sixers. I hope we get <laughs> we laid. We probably will. We probably will. We listen to some Fog Hat. Uh, no, after this, Blythe and I will be going on um, a somewhat tradition of an annual bar crawl. Uh, in our neighborhood in Brooklyn. Uh, it's in honor of a friend's birthday. Shout out. Shout, Shout out, out to Don. Don. Uh, but it does always mark kind of the beginning of, of spring. So uh, we'll be outside, hopefully, for a short period of time. Um, and then probably singing a lot of 90s songs on a jukebox, if all goes according to plan. I can't hardly wait. <laughs> Okay. So the films that we feel best capture this theme of one great day are American Graffiti, Dazed and Confused, Empire Records, and Can't Hardly Wait. And we also recognize that we'll talk about some other themes that these movies could have fit into, um, but the more that we dug into some of the history around the movies, if you can really call the production of Can't Hardly Wait History. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of tie-ins amongst the movies, and we're, we're very satisfied with this c- collection. 
Yeah, I mean, we assume all five of our listeners are very familiar <laughs> with these films, but just in case, we've got some clips notes for you. And uh, Aaron, you went to school for film. I did. I did, you, uh, I did go to off. school for this. I did. Um, okay, we're starting with American Graffiti. Uh, this is kind of the grandfather, if you will, of teen movies. Mm. Um, American Graffiti, for those of you who are not familiar with it, came out in 1973. Uh, it's directed by someone you, you may know, George Lucas. Mm. Um, shortly after making American Graffiti, he released Star Wars. Uh, are very, you very similar. Star yeah. Wars? You know, they're nothing alike. <laughs> And yet, I get how he went on to make Star Wars. Yes, totally. Uh, Yeah, and specifically, we can get to a little bit more about, like, party scenes and dancing scenes, but the way that he filmed the scene at the sock hop very much reminded me of, um, I'm not a Star Wars person, what's the bar that they go to? Oh, uh, shit. Sorry, we're yeah, so bad I wish at Don was here. Star Wars. Oh, uh, the Cantina. The Cantina, yeah. yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, it very much had that um, immersive, totally foreign, because I was not a teenager in the 60s, um, but like emotional reading of like, this is what it feels like to be there. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I think you were the first person in history to compare a sock hop uh, no, I, George Lucas's presentation sure, 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 yeah, 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 of a no, sock that's, that's, uh, that's really interesting. Yeah. I, I, had, I was not thinking about that at all. So the movie is set in 1962. Uh, it's about four friends. If, honestly, I don't think they're very good friends to one another. <laughs> as I don't think most people in the movies we cover are very good friends to each other. But what does it mean to be a good friend as a 19-year-old, 17-year-old, what have you? Um, they live in California. It's very much autobiographical of George Lucas's life growing up. Uh, he models most of the characters after himself in what he says is various stages of his life, which cracked me up because they're very distinct characters and he was only like 27 when he wrote the film. So oh, wow. it's a little, it's a little like, how many lives have you lived, George Lucas? Uh, the film stars... Ron Howard, who would then a few years later go on to star in Happy Days for a decade as an American teenager. Um, it also stars Cindy Williams. Is that her name? Sorry, guys. Lori? Yeah, Cindy Williams. I was correct. Uh, and Richard Dreyfus. Um, Richard Dreyfus, at the end of this movie, is they put up like end cards to say where everyone ends up and his character goes on to be a writer living in Canada which reminded me of another not quite teen movie Stand By Me in which he plays a writer living in Oregon so that was an interesting little premonition if you will Uh, oh and also quite notably Harrison Ford unbelievable who doesn't do much in this movie and isn't given much of a like, he's just given a total bad guy at it for no real reason. No. And Bob he's, Falfa. Who, who thought that that would become one of America's greatest badasses? Right. I mean, I don't know if I would view him as one of America's greatest badasses. Han Solo? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Han Solo. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, who yeah, I was yeah, talking yeah. about. Uh, yeah, that's, that's American Graffiti. Uh, something that 
I think is particularly, what did I say? That Yeah, it happens over one night before Ron Howard and Richard Dreyfus, their characters are intended to go off to college. Uh, all the friends kind of go in different directions, driving around their town. Uh, a lot of great cars, if you're into that sort of thing. I'm assuming if you're into that sort of thing, you're not listening to our podcast and you are really into car podcasts. Hello, if you are. <laughs> uh, anyways, something that was really interesting in researching American graffiti, and there's been a lot written about American graffiti and what it means to American cinema, and it's in like the National Archives, and it's an AFI Top 100. Um, it certainly announces both George Lucas as a top American filmmaker um, and it's produced by his longtime friend, Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, it, it's a landmark on so many levels, but I think what's most interesting for teen movie purposes is studios initially did not want to finance the production of this movie because of how expensive it would be to license all of the music. Mm. And usually studios were in the habit of either commissioning like a single artist like look at Simon and Garfunkel for like The Graduate or something like that to create the score and then you know would be able to sell records on that or just to have like a score that was by you know a composer and, and not a big name and so in licensing all of these songs and in having them be part of the driving around and the parties and whatnot it definitely sets the stage for Kind of all film soundtracks to move towards that yeah absolutely and i think the rest of these movies have incredible soundtracks mm-hmm. uh so thank you to american graffiti for giving us yeah these sound- I- 90s soundtracks of our lives well and and the american graffiti soundtrack is just incredible oh it's amazing i, cou- I couldn't yeah. believe it's just hit 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 and i love that about and we can get into this after we've discussed all the films, but I love how music is such an important character in all of these films. Yeah. And is what's so cool about driving around in American Graffiti and driving around in Days and Confused and the record store and the house party and all these films is that they're all listening to the same songs. Yeah. Every single scene, they're all actually experiencing the same music. And that is such a specific, I think, very teen feeling that everyone is jamming out to the same stuff as you it's called diegetic sound that's the that's my little film school nugget see this is why the you are the yeah diegetic sound on this podcast means that the characters are experiencing it as we are and non-diegetic sound is like opening credits music that no one else can hear that is so cool fun fact absolutely uh so the next one great day film that we're covering is days and confused it was released in 1993, but takes place in Texas in 1976. And similar to American Graffiti, it takes place on the last day of school. School has just gotten out. It was written and directed by Richard Linklater, who I think is up there with like John Hughes Certainly. in terms of being an auteur of coming-of-age movies and teen cinema. He also did Suburbia, Boyhood, Everybody Wants Some. I think he really understands teens and youth culture. And I, I think that that's what he's kind of known for outside of movies yeah. like A Scanner Darkly and some of his other weirder... I think that in the understanding of teens with Richard Linklater, he understands 
and this is mostly on display notably in boyhood but a lot of it can be seen in um dazed and confused is he understands like how really nothing is what's valuable it's like these tiny moments Mm -hmm. or the the absence of doing things um that that really defines your teenage like emotions and self and like the sense of like the sense of needing a purpose is like the whole purpose oh yeah of being and, a teen and that is covered so beautifully in days and confused um it was actually considered a box office flop it made about eight million dollars and was on a seven million dollar budget Oof. most of which went to securing rights to the music which ah. goes back to what you were saying they have so many huge hits from the 70s in that film and the music was actually such an important part of the film that um i read a maxim article from 2013 where which was the for the 20th anniversary of the movie where they talked about how Linklater actually gave each character their own mixtape of 70s music to listen to to get them into character that's how important the music was and he really wanted them to feel like they were living in 1970 like every 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 main character that's insane. Uh, That's Randall, wonderful. The guy who played Randall Pink Floyd, uh, what is his name? Jason London. Yeah, Jason London. He was. He said that Linklater told them that he wants them to morph into living as if they were living in 1976 through music, which is, I think, so cool. Uh, the film is based on Linklater's own high school experience, and it's actually so true to life that Waterson, who was the Matthew McConaughey character, Floyd and Slater are the real names of people Ooh. that he went to high school with, and they actually brought a lawsuit for defamation against him. Who? The the real Wooderson, Floyd, and Slater. How is this remotely defamatory? Like, it is... I mean, it may be <clears throat> Slater, but... I don't know. Matthew McConaughey is basically a pedophile. Yeah, <laughs> no, certainly, but he's... Uh... Well, it, it got tossed out, and... It, you know, when people talk about it, they say, well, what's your, what was your complaint? And they said, too many people were coming up to us saying, saying like, right, you're the real right, Wooderson, right. like, want to party with us? Which is not the worst thing to have happen to you. Did Wooderson get tired of being Wooderson? It sounds like that's what happened. I mean, I'm sure none of these people wanted to be known as these characters for the rest of their lives. But, you know, Linklater, I guess, didn't want to feel like changing any of the names. <laughs> but I thought that was hilarious. They're pretty good names. There are, I mean, yeah. they all the names here are great. I, I mean, it's very clear that it is from someone's true experience. Yeah. All of these, this movie is just way too for me. Like, it felt very real. It felt like someone's real experience. I will say, it's interesting that they're they're real names and nicknames in some instances because I feel like when I hear like my aunts and uncles or Matt's parents talk about their Matt is Aaron's sorry, boyfriend. Boyfriend, he's my boyfriend. Brag. Um, but, but when they talk about their their friends, like, I wish I could remember Matt's dad has these friends with, like, the most ridiculous names. And I'm, I'll be like, what did you just say? Like, well, come again? And he'll repeat it, and he'll be like, that's his name. Sure. And I'm like, how is that possibly someone's name? Or my mom had a friend named Poncho inexplicably for years. It's like, people get got stuck with names in the 70s that, like, just are poetic and strange. I love it. I love that. I mean, that's one of the, my favorite parts of this movie is that you don't actually know who whose real name is their name, what's a nickname. Yeah. That's, it's fun. It's, yeah. And it feels very true to life. So, uh, back to Days of Confused. We also it, have a lot of friends with weird nicknames. We should... 
Yeah, I mean, I, I not to shame older generations. We have equally <laughs> weird friends. No, I, I think, realize. Like I said, I think that's the most fun part about it. So, uh, Days and Confused, the one great day follows a group of incoming seniors and a few select freshmen on the last day of school. As I said, I think there are like four main storylines. Again, I think everyone listening to this has seen this movie probably a, a dozen times. times, so I'm not going to get too layered with it. But you have Randall. Pink Floyd, who is played by Jason London, and he's the protagonist. He's a football star. He's entering his senior year, and I think the main piece of the movie is that his coaches are insisting that he sign this pledge to not engage in any illegal activity over the summer, which basically is just code for smoking pot. They're fine with them drinking beer. No, they're fine with them drinking beer. That, That doesn't seem to be an issue at all. They just... I think what they're really against is, like, the counterculture, quote-unquote, that he's hanging out with, Because he's like, I've seen your other friends. Right. And they're very much representative of a shift in how we approach authority, how we view things as American as football, and, you know, they are fine with them drinking beer and hanging out on the 50-yard line. They just don't want them listening to Aerosmith and going to Houston for a concert. Like, that's their issue. And, you know, he, he is hanging out with more, quote-unquote, counterculture types, um, the potheads of the movie. One of them played very memorably by Rory Cochran, which, who we'll talk about yeah. soon. If you didn't know he was a stoner, he has a marijuana leaf on his shirt. <laughs> <laughs> if anything was feels unclear. unnecessary because he also is just talking about how George Washington used to plant marijuana in the southern fields as a cash crop. Yeah, and so how Martha Washington is, like, was a hip-hip lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Had a fat pole waiting for him when he got home. Uh, and then the the freshman arc is, I think, my favorite part of the movie. There's two freshmen Mitch. who are both being terrorized by the senior class. The girls are terrorized in a very girl psychological way, you know, degraded, made to basically sit on the floor and propose to guys and yeah. fry like piggies on the floor. Whereas the kid, the guys just get the shit kicked out of them with paddles by the senior. The thing that guys. cracked me up on rewatch of the hazing was how the senior girls would be like, "It's almost over. Yeah. I did it too. It's okay, sweetie." And then would like turn her like that was absolutely psychological warfare. You, yeah, and that cracked me up. And I should say it's. The reason our podcast is named Smiley Love. Oh, yes. It's my yes. favorite, probably one of my top ten scenes in teen movies is Parker Posey just saying, you little freshman bitches, you little freshman sluts. Like, Parker she's Posey incredible. is a, a goddess. and she and She's such a bitch in this movie yeah. that we almost wanted to put her in a different category where we just discuss famous, like, renowned bitches in yeah. teen movies. But this... It's so much more than about just her. I also love when she's in the car and their friend is like, no, I'll t- I won't tell you what she said about us. And Joey Lauren Adams is like so mad that she got called a slut. And Parker Posey's like, oh, well. Like, yeah, she they, everyone calls you a slut. Yeah. Like, she's, like, she's like, everyone calls you a slut and I am a bitch. Like, um, And then there's another group, uh, another storyline in the movie that features Mike, Cynthia, and Tony, who I guess are our intellectuals of the movie sure. they're also seniors and they are sort of lamenting that all they do is ride around talking about politics and they should just have one great visceral experience yeah. and they have some of my favorite when you talk about those moments where they are discussing nothing and those are 
what Richard Linklater is known for. I think he ha- they have some of the best lines for that. Definitely. And the best lines about nothing, but also with the seriousness that you take your views as a 17-year-old mm-hmm. of like, listen, guys. I'm going to say something, and and then it's like, really, you're not saying much at all. Yeah. You're just like repeating. But I think it it's probably, it's a tie between Days and Confused and Empire Records, which one of these is my favorite of the one great days. And I think they're very different, but Empire Records, which I will discuss now, is set in one location. It's in this independent music store run by Joe, who's... Oh. So wonderful and I just imagine he's such a good boss he has this motley crew of teenagers running his store I don't know if he is a good boss I think he's a good friend but I think he's a very bad employer I think he is a great employer I think he's a terrible businessman okay okay yeah those are and that's a really important distinction and he has finally let his um Employee Lucas, who we just were discussing, Rory Cochran. What a what a glow up, you know. He goes from Skinner yeah. to. Uh, and this is only three years later. Yeah, which is incredible. Oh, I, yeah, I should say that it's uh, filmed in nineteen ninety eight. No, five nineteen ninety five. Set in nineteen ninety five, which is um, a beautiful time to be alive. <laughs> I mean, I was eleven. I was six. Okay, yeah, we won't. We don't have to talk. Um, but independent record stores were at this time I I still had one in my town we did too yeah Yeah. I mean 95 was still a pretty good year for being a record store although the crux of this film is that Anthony what's his name whoever plays Paglia Joe um, you know he's not a good businessman as Aaron said and he's probably gonna have to Turn Empire Records into a music town, which is like a Tower Records or a Virgin Mega Music Store yeah. equivalent. I would say probably more like Virgin. Yeah. So Lucas finds us out when he's closing the store, and he decides, I'm going to take all the money that we made today, and I'm going to go to Atlantic City. I'm going to gamble this money. I'm going to get enough money that I can help Joe... Uh, buy the store or do whatever and you know the that does not happen (laughs) so the interesting thing about the atlantic city setting to me was it wasn't until i rewatched this movie like this week that i was like oh atlantic city this is this takes place on the east coast like something about the setting and like maybe it takes place in like baltimore because they're on the water like i can't figure it it out i read that it took place in delaware but i had watching the film i had no there was nothing that said Delaware right. or mentioned Delaware, so I just thought East random East Coast. I had always thought it was like Pacific Northwest. Like it oh, gives me very like with all the sweaters. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, okay. Like, I could see Pacific that. Pacific Northwest vibes. No, I mean I figured it was on the East Coast be- just because of that he'd take the motorcycle to yeah. Atlantic City, but I had no idea. But where. when I was six and this movie came out, I had no concept of geography. I'm just yeah. kidding. I didn't see this movie when I was six years old. <laughs> I mean, maybe you did. I don't know. Um, so in the store we have, I would say there's five main characters. Yeah. I mean, you have Liv Tyler, Renee Zellweger, the BFFs. Yeah. A very young Liv Tyler, a very young Renee Zellweger. You have Mark. Mark. Ethan Embry, who is incredible in this film. Like truly, truly an incredible performance. Uh, you have AJ. Um, who is like the artsy, 
dead. Heartthrob yeah. in the film. He's got great 90s hair. Yeah. And you have, I would say, tertiary characters like Deb, who's played by Robin Tunney, um, Eddie, another stoner Eddie. figure. You have Warren, a shoplifter who comes to the store. Warren's very problematic. Yeah, we're going to get to Warren. And then you have, uh, of course, Rex Manning, who is this aging sort of Tom Jones character who comes to the store to promote his new album. And he's a huge joke to everyone, but he doesn't really realize it. And the only reason he's at the store is because Joe needs knows that he needs someone like Rex Manning to bring in people to buy CDs. And so it's just a necessary evil that he has to come in. Of and course, his manager is played by Debbie Mazon. Yes, who's amazing. And you know, the whole time that Rex Manning is there, Joe's freaking out because he doesn't know what Lucas did with the $9,000. He didn't know if he gambled it, if he lost it, if he's bought a motorcycle. He has no idea. Right. And Lucas is not being remotely forthcoming. <laughs> no. He is not helpful. And meanwhile, his employees are just having some pretty significant teenage meltdowns. Like huge, huge meltdowns. meltdowns. <laughs> Corey is, played by Liv Tyler, is a type A pill-popping perfectionist with daddy issues who wants to lose her virginity to Rex Manning. In her break room. In her break room at the place where she works (laughs) in the middle of what I assume is it's like Saturday afternoon to a a childhood crush. It is so, so terrible. Uh, Meanwhile, her friend Gina is not very supportive. She is, has her own issues about men and sex and power and her own self-worth yeah uh, she ends up sleeping with rex manning yeah. just to get back at Corey for, in a different break room but yeah, yes. in a different break room <laughs> aj is in love with Corey and he wants oh, to God. tell her at 137 exactly yep. um because he knows she's going to harvard in the fall and he wants to make sure that he tells her before she leaves and then mark seems to have no problems which is good for mark and deb oh deb who she- Shaves her head and has maybe had a suicide attempt within the last day. Yes. Um, Fun fact, she did shave her head and had to wear a wig in the craft because she shaved the head and they were filmed so close together. I have to say kudos to Robin Tunney for having a perfect face. She looked great. Yeah, she um, is a very beautiful person and can really pull off that shaved head. Yeah. Um, the film, speaking about box office flops, I mean, and uh, Days and Confused is considered a box office flop with $8 million. This film grossed $300,000. Oh my god, that's so sad. It's so sad because it's so good and so memorable. And the director, he's a Canadian director, he actually directed Pump Up the Volume. So he's good at this. I mean, he does teen movies, and Pump Up Up the Volume was a pretty big hit. I don't think I've seen or heard of Pump Up the Volume. Well, we will be covering it at a later podcast. Okay. Um, It's great. You will enjoy it. I'm looking forward to it. Another great teen movie. Um, Another fun fact about Empire Records is that it was written by Carol Heineken, who also wrote Center Stage. Oh my god! I I love Center Stage! I know! We can't cover Center Stage because they're technically in college, so just for all of you Center Stage fans out there... Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we 
we may cover it maybe in a later season if we, if we are so lucky. It may get an honorable mention. Yeah. This isn't a fantasy podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned for our other podcast just about Center Stage yeah. called On Point. <laughs> <laughs> but <Okay>. that, that <laughs> long story Moving short, um, Mark has a brilliant idea of advertising for a party at Empire Records once once all the employees find out that Joe lost doesn't have the money and he's going to be bought out and they're all rallied together to both get rid of Rex Manning because he's a terrible person and throw this big party. Uh, Warren, who is the shoplifter, gets arrested. Um, After during... shooting up. Well, first he's arrested and then they take him in. Oh, Warren. And then he comes back with a gun and starts threatening to shoot up the place, which is, wow, the 90s in America are so yeah, fucked up. Yeah. Those are the police coming to get warned. Right <laughs> There's sirens outside of my, of my home. Um, the best little factoid for me about Warren, I guess I shouldn't say factoid, like plot points surrounding him, is that his name isn't Warren. We never find out his name, but when they initially catch him for shoplifting, they're like, What's your name? And he's like, Warren Beatty. And then they just keep calling him Warren. And then he gets so mad. He's like, my name's not Warren. But they never ask him what his... is fucking Warren. He's so his voice mad. cracks. It's so good. And they just keep calling him Warren. At one point, they make him a name tag, Warren. Um, it's a really beautiful scene. Yeah. But, we you know, when he comes with a gun, that brings police, that brings cameramen. And Mark uses that opportunity to advertise his big party at Empire Records. They throw a huge party, there's a band on the roof, it's amazing, Gina sings, uh, AJ and Corey make out, it's beautiful, and they raise enough money to buy Joe's share in Empire Records, so he doesn't have to yeah. become a chain. And also, uh, the music in this movie, I realized in rewatching, um, apologies to all of my high school friends, because I think that I put at least one empire Records song on like every mixtape i made for like five years um yes so i'm i was always very impressed at the breadth of music they had and i also love going back to what we're talking about about soundtracks and them being you know an important part of the scene what did you call them the diegetic sound diegetic sound um i love how each employee gets to pick a song and they yeah. have veto power, but when everyone puts on a song, they're all jamming to it. They all know the lyrics, they're all into it. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. And yeah. I think that's so fun. And I remember my town's record store, um, Strictly Discs. Yep. Not to be confused with Madison's Gay Bar, Strictly Dicks. <laughs> Blythe grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> and we did not have a gay bar called Strictly Dicks. <laughs> um,. I went. I was there so much, and it was very much an individual experience. You would. I took them through CDs yeah. and listened to them on the headphones that they had in the store. I never got a communal experience with music the way that they do in the store, and I was always really jealous of that. Yeah, I think my high school experience with music is like, <laughs> for any of my very close high school friends who are listening, I'm sure you're thinking of some very specific arguments that we would have in which someone would put something on that we thought was so egregious that we would immediately turn the radio off and then make fun of them for like, oh my God. like, like huge arguments would start. I, there, <laughs> Courtney, if you're listening to this, oh no, I don't know if you remember that large argument we got into about Coheed and Cambria. 
but, but like bad things Shots happened. Um, yeah. Wow. So we you... definitely had like some major tension over music. Okay. My friend Anna and I thought we were really cool. We were, we are, <laughs> but like we like we're like oh we're gonna listen to the shins and drive around. Whereas like our other friends had more open minds to like what. That all music could be fun and mm. exciting. And Anna and I were like, we're going to listen to some Death Cab for Cutie because it was on the OC soundtrack mm-hmm. this week. Oh, the OC. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So all I mean, that teen life. Teen life. Uh, no, I, I do love that they all have that shared experience. And I do kind of envy the way that they, like, educate. Like, there, I can remember being in high school and feeling like there were some – of my friends who just had this, like, wealth of knowledge about certain things, and I feel like I never felt secure in my wealth of knowledge about any particular, like, pop culture thing, and being like, oh, man, they know until so much. Until now. But being like, <laughs> they know so much about the Beatles, or they're super into, like, whoever, like, and they can tell me everything about it. Like, I can remember being really envious of that, like, historic knowledge about music that people had. Oh, that's cool. I mean, my brother, you know, everything um, I learned about the music was from my brother. Yeah, shout out to Kai Kennedy, who did our theme song. Oh, yeah. Well, Kai Kennedy and the Honey Boys, a.k.a. Jordan and Jesse Laz. Yeah. And Sam Taylor, I think, too. I should check that if you're listening. Shout so out to the I'm Honey not, Boys. I'm forgetting you. <laughs> um, and um, we'll have to talk about Kai as a teen influence at some point in another episode. Oh, of course. There's Poor Kai. There's a lot. No, he, he shaped your. No, I'm just he saying. Was such a cool like, brother. He, he is such an important part of my high school experience, but pr- probably not in the ways that he wants to be. You know, <laughs> like, oh, my cool older brother that is so much cooler than me. No, and, like I could never live up to in terms of coolness. So I just went in an entirely opposite direction and tried to be as uncool as I possibly could. Which worked out well for it worked, me. It worked out yeah. well for both of you. Uh, the next film on our list, I believe. Yeah, so our final movie about one great day. It's really a night, an evening. Uh, also starring our beloved Ethan Embry. Uh, can't hardly wait. Another glow up from Mark yeah. to Preston. Yeah, wow. big glow up. Um, I will say I kind of like, I didn't forget about Ethan Embry, but I was like, oh, what is he doing these days? And then. I remember he's being just as charming on Grace and Frankie and, like, still so swoon-worthy and just, like, his crinkly smile and his, like, he's just so charming. Even every, we are big fans of your work. So Can't Hardly Wait is a movie that takes place on the last day of high school um, for a graduating class in particular. Oh, it starts at the graduation. I'm sorry. It starts at the graduation. Mm. Oh, yeah. It it has that great scene Great where scene. you just see people's shoes and right away Ethan Embry's wearing like hush puppies yeah, and yeah, yeah. such dad shoes and it just tells you immediately everything you need to know about these people is. and um so the the movie gets kicked off with these two facts one there's this huge party um we never find out whose party it is and I looked on IMDB and the the woman who is the, the she's host. credited yeah. as girl whose party it is which amazing. is amazing and we'll talk in a moment about the many people who are in this movie, like an insane amount of very famous people are in this the cameos movie. are crazy. And none of them are credited with names. They all are like girl who, person who, boy in shorts. Like it's yeah. amazing. Um so the two facts are 
one, there's this huge party going on, and two, uh, Amanda Beckett was dumped by Mike Dexter. Wow. Woo! Wow. So then I I want to tell you frame by frame what happens in this movie, but I realize that's really not. Plus you've all seen it. There's no way you're If you haven't seen it, it's like eighty minutes. You can It's watch. a fun time. It's a great time. Uh, Mike Dexter, played by Peter Fascinelli. Peter Fascinelli. Amanda Beckett, played by the incomparable Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yeah, and she had already been on Party of Five at this point. Oh, interesting. So she was, like, on the scene, but this was definitely her breakthrough kind of, like, leading lady moment. She, she is just a teen princess she, in this. You know, it's unreal. I know that a lot of people have... A variety of things to say about Jennifer Love Hewitt like I, I don't know why like I think that she, for some reason she's like polarizing but I think she is adorable she's adorable she's not a great likeable. actress she doesn't have a lot of range but she is so likable yeah she's great she's great so she plays um like a popular ish girl very popular girl. yeah but she's not really like comfortable with her popularity she just transferred to the school got started dating Mike Dexter and uh, Preston, Ethan Embry's character, has this huge crush on her for four years. And uh, the he's going to also tell her at this party that he loves her by giving her a letter, which we never find out what the letter really says. He explains it kind of on the car. Yeah, um, with Jenna he says, Elfman, yeah. He says, you know, it's... it's you were always more than the homecoming queen to me. You were always more yeah. than the head cheerleader. Essentially, the letter is like him saying that he sees her for who she is. Uh, also, at this party, it's like a total microcosm of humanity. Um, and like an entire high school is packed into the party. Which also, I don't know what your high school was like, but like big parties were not attended by all people. Like, that, I did not go to a harmonious high school. <laughs> Like, as someone who uh, was girl whose party it is at one point <laughs> in her life, um, I remember very distinctly, um, I, I had a very, grew up in a very large, um, weirdly, uh, too large, one would say, house. Oh, yeah. That had way, just way too much space, and uh, that is not... So that just sounded like the most pretentious thing I've ever said, but like, it was university yeah. housing. I was forced to live in it, um, but it was Okay, cute. that sounds weirder, too. Blythe grew, grew up on a campus. And anyway, being as someone who was girl whose party it is, um, I can say that I hosted many parties where yeah. I did not know everyone that was there and was had no idea who was in my house, and... Like, that was a weird feeling. Like, yeah. your parents got out of town, and then people just call other people, and you have no idea how they got there. Yeah, I never ended up at those parties. Like, I only went to parties that were either at my friend's house, or, yeah, I would yeah. never go to random parties, because I was just not interested in spending time with people I didn't want to hang out with. Which, That's good for you. I did a lot of that. I spent time with people I loved, and then I was just like, oh, let me see what's going on over here. Okay, I think you're cool. probably a more well-rounded teen for that i should have probably just expanded my horizons well i mean i i don't know how other people from my high school feel but i also feel like we had a pretty good support like class of oh like, we had there i felt like there was a lot of camaraderie there yeah, weren't like class, specific clicks necessarily my class my class had i would say the opposite of camaraderie and mm. it was very fragmented and i was in mostly honors classes and 
we existed in what was called like the honors bubble. So it, it was just like the same 80 people that hung out all the time. How big was your high school? Not big, under a thousand for all four classes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ours was about 2,500. Oh, jeez. Yeah, we had a big high school. So there could be people that are like, uh, no, West was super polarizing and terrible, and there were bullies, and you were one of them. <laughs> fucking bitch. Lights, bullies come out of the woodwork on social media. Oh um, come at me. Anyways, can't, sorry for that tangent. Um, I'm not. Can't hardly wait. Yeah, just kind of dives into a bunch of different characters as they're expressing their like I'm done with high school I'm going on to college like I'm gonna become my true self and so Mike Dexter breaks up with Amanda because he wants to like be with all the college girls and tries to get all of his friends to break up with their girlfriends as well that doesn't happen like the nerds want to get revenge on the bad guys um William is like one of the the king of the nerds who kind of like pivots throughout the evening to become uh, a party guy and fun weird little tie-in to American Graffiti uh, so Richard Dreyfus went on to be a big movie star famous actor and was in one of my favorite movies What About Bob oh and his god. son is played by Charlie Corsimo oh my god who plays William in Can't Hardly Wait oh my god that's wild yeah so Charlie Corsimo also from Hook Oh, yeah. yeah, played played the kid in Hook, um, but you know he didn't have a big film career, and one of the reasons is is because when he signed on to do Can't Hardly Wait, he was already at MIT. Yeah, brilliant guy. Um, I true, kind of true to the character. Super true to the character. Uh, another side plot is between Denise, who is Preston's best friend, and Kenny, played by Seth Green. Um, Kenny, I think, is like just a fantastic character he's infuriating and also like we all knew someone kind of yeah and like you really hope that he like figured it out and accepted himself in a certain way and then that friend who would do like he'd be like oh you're almost there you almost got it you've almost like stopped getting in your own way and then Mm. like it's just like a slide right back into like no yeah um yeah so denise is played by Lauren Ambrose, who went on to be on Six Feet Under with Peter Fascinelli. Uh, I did not watch Six Feet Under, but that's what the internet tells me. Uh, other like wild cameos to talk about in this movie. Jamie Presley plays one of the girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean Patrick Thomas is in it, yes. who's also in Cruel Intentions, a and, movie we'll talk about. And Say the Last Dance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which we will also talk about. Dance. Um, Klee Duvall is in it. Yes. There's actually a ton of characters from Buffy the Vampire Slayer in yes. this movie, which I just didn't realize upon rewatching. And Buffy was maybe one of my favorite teen shows of all time. Interesting. Shout out to my friend Laura for introducing me to that um, movie. Klee Duvall is in it for TV like show. a split second. Like she's in the kitchen when uh, Kenny walks in and she's like, she just says like one word to him or something mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my god. But she's so memorable. Selma Blair. Selma Blair is in it. Um, my favorite, my favorite weird synergy of this movie though is that Donald Faison, is that how you say his last mm-hmm. name? And Breckenmeyer are in the band that's yes. playing at the party. Love Bugger. And they would very famously go on to be in Clueless together. Yes. They came out like within a few years of each other, like, pretty close. Yes, yeah. So it feels like maybe they filmed, like, Can't Hardly Wait, they're certainly not as famous as they are in 
Donald Faison would also go on to be on Scrubs. Yes. Very famously. Um, craziest person to be in this movie would be Jason Segel. Who, like, he's just sitting in the backyard eating watermelon, and it's pre-freaks and geeks. Mm -hmm. He has his, like, total baby face, and he is Jason Segel. Like, Mm -hmm. his whole character of life is in that, like, 30 seconds of screen time. Uh, who else am I missing? Melissa Joan Hart, another team Melissa Joan Hart is in it. Jerry O'Connell is in it. Uh, Yeah. Oh, and Leslie Grossman is in it and not credited. She's just like a random girl at the party. Oh, right. I remember that. Um, and Jenna Elfman, of course, is in it, but Plays more the famously. Angel. Yeah. Uh, we, should, we should say that this one great day uh, takes place on Barry Manilow's birthday, which oh, we I find out when Preston is very much about fate guiding him and lead, and he takes all of these little cues. It's very important and... When he drives up to the party, Mandy by Barry Manilow comes on and he sees that there's a sign. Yeah. Mandy, Amanda. And of course, his friend Denise is like, You're insane. Like, what sign do you need that Jennifer Love Hewitt is hot and you want to go out with her? You don't need a sign. And he's, <laughs> and he's like, Well, how often does Barry Manilow come on? Like, we never hear Barry right. Manilow. And then it turns out it's his birthday. So they're playing it every hour of the hour. Yeah. You're going to listen to Mandy. So there's like very good things in the movie like that where you are just you want to love Preston but you're like god you're such a you're just getting in your own way man yeah I think that and also Preston is leaving the next day to go to Boston from wherever they are I think they're in California no, I thought he, no he goes to Boston oh I thought he was going to Dartmouth no he's, school, no, he's going to college so the movie has um like a gimmick I suppose or a tactic where they whenever they introduce a character they pull up their yearbook uh, Paige, Blythe and I last week were out talking about this movie when we had kind of planned to do it, and this we're is, talking this about... This is only slightly embarrassing This is amazing. We were talking about um, all the different quotes, and Blythe said, oh my god, I know this movie so well, um, I can even remember Amanda Beckett's yearbook, yearbook quote. quote. Which, so every... We should say, everyone gets a yearbook page where they have their activities, what they're doing after graduation, yeah. and their quote. Yeah, and so, so that's why Preston, he's going to Dartmouth, but he's going to a summer program in Boston. We should say Preston's quote is, uh, beware of any enterprise that requires new clothes. Yeah. Which is really telling of him. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I guess he's a transcendentalist. <laughs> so anyway. Amanda's quote I misremembered. She misremembered it to be. I thought it was We Are Everyday Angels, which is a, a line from a Jewel song called I'm Sensitive. It's actually <laughs> I'd sen- Rather See a World from Another <laughs> Angle, which is the line just before. <laughs> so sorry, I got the wrong line from the Jewel song, okay? I'm a loser. It is so. Lilith Fair was my first concert. Specific and incredible. Yeah, it was a very funny. Uh, yeah, so Preston is leaving the next day to go to Boston before going to Dartmouth to do a writing program with Kurt Vonnegut, right. which is just some movie magic. Yeah. Like, okay, sure. sure. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I want to talk about those yearbook pages for a second, though, because yeah. I think they're actually a really, really good, easy way to set up who these people are. Um, we know that Denise is going to NYU. 
Yeah, Denise is going to NYU in the mid-90s and yet has no extracurricular activities, which... Liar! <laughs> so, Aaron thinks that she either didn't didn't get into NYU or No, no, like... Denise definitely got into NYU, but I think that this um, film doesn't understand... Maybe getting into college in the 90s was entirely different than... It has since become. I mean, at least she wasn't pretending to be on the crew team. No. Oh. <laughs> Just saying. Fair. So I posited that perhaps because Denise also didn't have a yearbook photo that was it was revealed by the end of the film. So I thought maybe she just wasn't that into filling it out and putting right. all of her extracurriculars on there because she's like, I don't care about high school. I'm out of here. I don't. You don't get to know that I was in drama club or whatever. It's yeah. not important to my identity moving forward because my high school identity was never that important to me. Yeah. I think that that's an accurate reading of Denise. Uh, I wish I could remember Kenny's. I don't think Kenny got one. No, he definitely did. While I pull this up, um... Oh, yes, he did, because his quote was, uh, a a rap lyric. Denise's Uh, quote was, a good friend stabbed me in the front. Yes. Which which is great. Very good. Uh, Kenny, his activities were JV basketball one game, Mm. and he's going to UCLA. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah. Very topical. Uh, yeah, so Amanda Beckett had, not superlatives, her activities were basically pretty girl activities. Yes, I mean, that was her thing, that was her shtick. Yeah, and then she does know, she doesn't know what she's doing after college. Undecided. Undecided. After high school, sorry. And, yeah, she seems to be, um... Exceptionally lost. Certainly. And I've seen this movie many, many times, and yet at the end when she's in the train station and she's like, you know what, maybe I should just be single for a little bit. I'm like, yes, Amanda, you should. Um, But that's not how the movie ends. Uh, Yeah. So I think it's interesting that two of these, actually three of these movies have really, um, I guess, important relationships right you have aj and Corey from mm-hmm. empire records mm-hmm. you have Stephen Laurie from american graffiti yeah and then you have preston and amanda do art post college or any of these couples still together you think or not even post college post like the next day I mean, according to the end pile on Can't Hardly Wait, Preston and Amanda are still together. Lies. Lies. I think that Preston will probably, in college, think he's, like, way cooler than he is. Appropriately so. Like, he'll go to Dartmouth. He'll meet some, like, sensitive girls who are, like, also really into Kurt Vonnegut. Because Amanda didn't know who Kurt Vonnegut was. Yeah. Which is a whole, like, a whole other thing. And, um, yeah, I think Preston probably dumps Amanda mid-freshman year of college. Oh, interesting. See, I think Preston is actually extremely shallow. And because, like you said. Yeah, no, no, totally. But he's going to go and, like, find a cute girl at Dartmouth and, like, date her. Okay. I imagine Amanda dumping him um, and finding, I mean, probably moving to LA for an acting career or as she reminds yeah. me of like have you seen Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? No. Okay, there's uh 
well, that's a great film for another time. But <laughs> I imagine her being like that kind of character, like a super pretty, not a whole lot going on scholastically. Um, but I'm just saying, like, yeah, you know, ha- and could definitely be a model or an actress, moved to LA, and you know, probably do some. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think Amanda's leaving her town. Which there's nothing so. wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing she wrong with that. She wants to see the world from another angle, Erin. Yeah, but I think she means like a different job. Like, I don't know. I don't think she's that deep either. Interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah. Other couples, I mean, I think that Steve and what's her name are still together. He became an insurance salesman in Modesto. In Modesto. Mm-hmm. They're still together. She's probably like a second grade teacher. That makes sense for the time. Yeah. Yeah. I think they probably lived a lovely life. Um, so this is on Howard and Cindy Williams. Yes. In real life, they are very rich people from their syndication television shows. But I think they just lived a nice little life. Um, and who was the third couple? Oh, AJ, AJ and Corey. Corey. No chance. No chance. No chance. Zero chance. He decides that he's going to go to art school in Boston with her. I will say, I grew up outside of Boston. There's Frank. something about them that's so... I don't. I didn't grow outside of Boston the way that people say, like, I went to college outside of Boston. Like, I grew up in a suburb of Boston. Um, there's something about them that's, like, I can see them so perfectly, like, in... Boston. Yeah. Like, okay. I can see them, like, um, in Newberry Comics, which is, like, a record store in Boston. I don't think it still exists anymore, but, like, mm-hmm. I can see them there perfectly, and I kind of, like, groaned and eye-rolled when I realized mm-hmm. it on the second viewing. I think, first of all, we have, like, Corey has a drug addiction, yeah. which is glazed right over. Yeah. Um, so she's probably going to knock you super well hard and have a mental breakdown of some sort. Uh, and I think that AJ just, he's got a lot of feelings and like, I just imagine Corey, I think she probably will do well at at Harvard because, you know, just do a lot of, she's just going to keep popping those pills. Yeah. And then, but I, I imagine her just like hooking up with like a fraternity brother and just like, you know, her just thinking of who her parents are and like how like insane her dad is. She's going to be pressured into going to law school or medical school or, you know, just following some path. And AJ is just not part of that. Yeah. AJ's path was following her path. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you, did you have any, um, so we rewatched all these films for this podcast. Did you have any takes on rewatching it that you didn't think about the first time well, you watched them? Or how old were you when you were okay, first introduced so to these films? A lot of these films I can't really remember the first time I watched, except for... I didn't see Days and Confused until I was in my 20s. Okay. Um, and when I was working at Tribeca, we had a... Tribeca. I used to work for Tribeca Enterprises, which had a which owned Tribeca Film Festival, and used to own Tribeca Cinemas, which was an events and screening space. So we started programming the space, and we did like a summer movie series and showed Days and Confused. And so that was the first time I watched it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and it was really fun, and people were so into it, which best but um so the first time I saw it I kind of saw it like with an audience knowing kind of what it meant to people uh a lot of my coworkers were like in their 30s and I was in my early 20s and so it was like they had seen it when they were like 
in their late teens and like could say every line and like loved it so it That's definitely has like a very yeah. warm spot in my in my heart I also think there's been so much conversation about Matthew McConaughey and that movie as it represents him mm-hmm. um and so it, it feels in a lot of ways like Days of Confused has been really dissected and reassembled in pop culture a lot in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything else, I can't remember the first time I saw it. Uh, I do remember, I didn't really like American Graffiti when I saw it because I was like watching it with my parents yeah. when I was like younger. Um, Can't Hardly Wait and Empire Records, it, they felt like much faster movies to watch them now and I realized it's because I was watching them on like PBS with commercials. Oh, interesting. Okay. The first time that I saw them. Yeah. I mean, I think with American Graffiti, we both talked about how ridiculous the relationship between. What is her name? In the car. Oh, Mackenzie Phillips. Yeah, Mackenzie Phillips' yeah. character and John, and John Milner. Yeah. So. I also saw American Graffiti a very long time ago, and I remember, I just remember it very differently, and rewatching it was an interesting experience because when I was younger, and I think, I must have been like 10, I mean, I was yeah, really, I was like way too young. So there were a lot of things that just went over my head. Um, I thought, I remembered Laurie and Steve's relationship being much more interesting I guess yeah I mean, it's so boring she almost dies in a car crash and like that's like the only time they ever show any kind of emotion towards each other you know what though I do did love re-watching the scene where they're at the dance and they're dancing together and she's like and they're like having that fight really close in yeah. that was cracking me up that was like such a high school expression of emotion is like everything's fine like, yeah. um and I I just I don't remember Kurt being so, I found him to be magnanimous. I found him to be really, really exciting to I would watch. agree. I would I couldn't entirely agree. He was the only, like, he had me hooked. Yeah. I was just so impressed. Everything else was a B-plot. Um, and I I don't remember the ending where they said that John Milner died in a drunk yeah, driving accident. John Milner accident. died, which was so. Two years later. Sad, because he has that conversation about drunk driving when they're in the, like, car lot. And I think John Milner was, like. A great character. And he was supposed to be kind of similar to the Matthew McConaughey character in Days of Confused. He's older, he's already graduated, but yeah. he's still stuck around town. because I think he, he was a much sadder character for a lot of reasons than the Matthew McConaughey character. Oh, 100%. I just think they, yeah, they yeah. play the same role yeah. um, as sort of like a, this could be your life post-graduation. This right. is an option, which is something that Ron Howard says. Like, you just want to hang around here like John Milner, which yeah. is interesting because Ron is the one who ends up staying I should use their characters' names, but I just think they're so much more well known yeah. as Ron Howard it's and hard, it's Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, and Kurt is the one who goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then their other friend, the the quote unquote Toad. nerd Toad, he dies That's in Vietnam. Yeah. So the interesting thing, having to go from American Graffiti and into Days of Confused, is that they're both out of the decade that they're about. They're both kind of these like personal films for the directors and I felt that both of them um I think most people would agree are more esteemed films than the other two we cover more what esteemed esteemed oh yes mm-hmm. um but they talk a lot there's a lot of like political undertones and little throwaway lines 
that's just very interesting to see kind of like the consciousness of teenagers at certain points and mm-hmm. so to remember like oh right then the vietnam war happened right. like there's 13 years between when american graffiti takes place and the days and confused takes place right. and you can just tell how much has changed right like days and confused they're still driving around in cars they're still going to drive in you know like burger places they still both of these films refer to JC, junior college, right. as an option. So, like, some of the vocabulary and some of the background um, spots are the same, but they are so wildly different movies, which makes sense because 13 years between 1962 and 19, 1976, what an insane thing to go through. Um, there's a line when they're partying in the woods in Days of Confused, and I forget who says it. One of the girl characters says it. I'm not sure if it's... Anyways. Um, and she's like, oh, it's my every other decade theory. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's Jody is talking to Cynthia, yeah. Mike, and Tony. Yes. Yeah. And and she's like, it's my every other decade theory. Like, the 50s were so cool and the 60s were a total... No, the, the 50s were a total bore. The 60s were awesome. The 60s were awesome. The 70s obviously suck. Right. So maybe the 80s will be radical. Right. And that was like... I can't remember being in high school and thinking... So the 90s suck? <laughs> no, thinking like this is like nothing interesting is happening. Like this is like we live in such a boring era. Everything cool has already happened. I mean, now that we're adults and live in this insane world, we certainly don't feel that way. But I look back on the aughts and I'm like, that was an insane time in pop culture. Um, but also that, I found that quote to be really interesting too because when unfortunate like really tragically the 80s is kind of when people started paying for all of the drugs and sex and everything that (coughs) happened in the 60s and 70s oh yeah in terms of the aids epidemic in terms of um good times exactly so like and and of course everything that happened in terms of capitalism and how we began destroying our country around the 80s. This is a teen movie podcast. I'm just saying, like, it was, because obviously Richard Linklater is making this film knowing what that quote is going to mean. Right. I'm watching and thinking, no, the 80s were terrible. Like, like, we have Reagan, we have all of these awful, awful things happening in the 80s, whereas the 70s were... It's, I mean, in terms of, like, how my parents talk about it, my parents fucking loved it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 70s sound amazing. And, yeah. and also ridiculous. Like, yeah. my mom used to tell this... Whenever my mom would tell a story about her teenage years, she would say something like, Oh, well, I can't remember what party that was. Like, if it was the one where, I, like, I jumped on my friend's motorcycle in the middle of, like, a family barbecue, or if it was... And you'd be like, what? How is that the setup for yeah. a story about anything? Yeah. Um... Yeah, so the political charged undertones of both of those movies yeah. stuck out in a way that they certainly didn't a few years ago no. or when I was younger. Um, and then I think with the other, t- yeah, and Kurt, I mean, there's a scene when they're at the dance and he's walking around the halls. And remember I told you that I got like weirdly emotional watching the movie? Yeah. Like there was something so moving about his like taking it all in and the, like the way that I mean I just Richard Dreyfuss is like such a phenomenal actor I feel like I've gushed about him this entire podcast but the way that he just is taking in this place that he is trying to decide if he's leaving and clearly understanding that like he's he, he's not in high school anymore so like if 
no matter what, he won't be in this building anymore. And he's just like walking through the halls. Like, I just thought that that was such a, that is a universal feeling. Like when you get to the end of a phase in your teen life and you're like, well, I might not be ready or I might not want to do X, Y, Z, but like this has officially closed for me. Like I'm being kicked out of this phase, whether I like it or not. Um, and I think, you know, when I was 10 and watched that, I was like, why is this guy walking around the hall? Right, right. Well, and that's the, in that scene, it's also when he runs into the creepy teacher, Ah! which is a character I had didn't either never acknowledge or understood who he was, but at the sock hop, uh, there's a teacher who's like flirting with the students and he walks out and he, he realizes a teacher pretty quickly. He's the only one in the suit. Yeah. He talks to Kurt about his plans. And he's calling, he's like, oh, you girls He calls the girls sexy. Yeah. And then when he and Kurt are talking in the hallway, they're interrupted by a a young teen girl. Yeah. She's like, I need to talk to you. And they go off and have a conversation about, I don't know what. It didn't seem good. I thought maybe that was going to come up again later. And I was like, oh my God, like she's pregnant. Like maybe this is another side plot I totally forgot about. But it's never resolved. But wow, creepy fucking teacher. Yeah, there's a lot that's evoked in the way that that the girl comes up to him and like the shadowy conversation and yeah it's quite interesting um in terms of re-watching the other two like my taste in men has definitely right. evolved from when I was 13 which I mean thank god <laughs> I don't think I was ever like into Peter Fascinelli's character. I don't think I was ever like Mike Dexter because he's set up as such a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Fascinelli is like an objectively handsome man, though. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, like rewatching it as an adult, I'm like, they cast a great like this was a great casting yeah. move. Yeah. Um, Ethan Embry, we love, but Preston would be a terrible boyfriend. He he's a terrible friend. To Denise, yeah. for the most part, Denise is an amazing friend to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in Empire Records, I wouldn't date any of them. Joe, I would date Joe. You date the record store, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's such a great. The guy. rest of them, I mean, AJ is like such a heartthrob. He's got the hair. Yeah. He's like a sensitive artist. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of feelings. Yeah, he's got a lot of feelings. Do you? How old were you when you first saw it? Like, do you remember when Empire Records? Probably middle school, yeah. I want to say. And it felt like a very cool movie that, like, mm-hmm. other people didn't know about. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how... Because it felt very ubiquitous in my friend group. I feel like everyone saw it. But I don't... I remember what... I mean, my stepsister, shout out to Sarah, introduced me to a lot of these films because she had such an extensive VHS collection. Ooh! And Empire Records was one of them. And I, I never saw it in theaters. I don't think anyone did. No. dollars But I remember watching it with her and then being like, this is now my favorite movie. Um, oh, wow. And then I think Can't Hardly Wait I saw it in theaters, almost certainly. I certainly remember watching Empire Records and thinking, like, this is something special. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is like you feel you feel warm and fuzzy when you watch yes. Empire Records. And I have seen Empire Records so many times, and I just rewatched it this week, and I was really really impressed at the casting and how much they, especially yeah. compared to Can't Hardly Wait, how much they looked and were teens. The the costuming, the even like the very minimal makeup. Yeah. Renee Zellweger's or not Renee Zellweger. Yeah, Renee Zellweger. Yeah. Gina. Um, how her I always. 
confusing how much oil on Adam's the whole time. Oh yeah, they do have a similar cute. Um, her hair is like the opposite of Amanda Beckett's hair, right? Her, it's like a little greasy. It's like a little unkempt. Amanda Beckett and Pantone White looks like they stop the film every twenty minutes to like zhuzh her hair back totally. up and like fix her makeup totally. and everything. She and she's just, wearing like spaghetti straps and platform sandals and like it's just a totally different aesthetic. Yeah, and it and it feels very not real, which is maybe the point of Can't Hardly Wait. They're trying to make these. Like, I think a lot of teen movies feel that way. Like certainly the ones that we'll talk about next week which is why i think empire records is so special because yeah. they really felt like real and obviously like renee zellweger and like tyler are super ultra gorgeous movie stars and they don't you know but they looked like real teens they look yeah they look like themselves they looked like your like very pretty friends yes um and even like the what they were wearing and everything just seemed really um true to life yeah and i was reading about this film that the director had them all stay in like little beach houses uh, in oh, like North Carolina, like where this was filmed, to like create a sense of camaraderie with them. Like basically oh force them God. to hang out for a month and be like become best friends. And then they kind of did. And they, I think that that was very obvious in the film. Interesting. I also think that in um, Empire Records, there's no in most of these films no one is really like a big star like they're about like a lot of them go on to become very big stars obviously but i think that most of these films were made and a lot of them are very ensemble casts by nature and so there isn't that like gloss glossy look because like these are not movie star movies right right um yeah so today's theme was one great day Mm -hmm. Do you, who do you think of all of these characters, who do you think had the best one great day? Whew. Who had the best day? Kurt. Kurt. Kurt had the best day. I mean, he got pulled up, pulled, like he, he joined a gang for a brief period of time. The pharaohs. <laughs> he pulled a prank on a police cruiser. He met like a local celebrity radio DJ. His like that scene when he's in the phone booth and she calls like his emotions are amazing and then he goes to college like he has an amazing day he gets everything that he didn't even know he wanted um and I don't think any of it is like there's no price to pay for him yeah you know what I mean he like other people who had kind of good days like you can tell, like, tomorrow might be kind of rough. You know oh, what I, I see. Mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I yeah. also, I like to imagine, because they're not too far apart in filming, yeah. that Kurt's character just becomes Hooper from Jaws. He goes to college, <laughs> and then he, get, then he goes to grad school for oceanography, and then he ends up, you know, killing those sharks. Yeah, and then he goes to Oregon to... Become a writer, yes. writes yes. a Stephen King-esque novel about his childhood that we didn't see in exactly. this, and then goes on to be a psychiatrist who finds Bill Murray and gives birth to William. And then he becomes a teacher and Mr. Holland's office. This is now a Richard Dreyfus podcast. <laughs> a teen Welcome icon. Welcome to Talking Dick. <laughs> uh, uh, excuse us. <laughs> my, uh... 
Who's your best day? I think Mitch from Days and Confused. Oh yeah, Mitch does have a great day. Shout out to Mitch's mom, by the way. Oh, amazing character. Uh, First, he first he wins a baseball game. Yeah, you know, as a pitcher, he has many. He strikes out some guys, which must be a great feeling. Then he gets his ass kicked for a little bit. O'Banion and the other jocks. Yeah, we are really remiss to not talk about a real. um, He's a great character. Ben Affleck is in Dazed and Confused. We did not touch on that. And he plays Ben Affleck. I mean, he plays... Wow. Like, Aaron, who knows Ben Affleck instantly, apparently. Okay, we'll have to edit this out. Um, he plays just such a jerk. Like, a super senior, super jerk. He, like... Super senior meaning he flunked, so yeah. he has to repeat a senior year. And, um, like, his outfit is... He's just such a tool, and it's amazing. Yeah. But, but Mitch, he beats up on Mitch... And Mitch gets his ass kicked, but then he gets in with Randall Floyd, who's arguably, like, the coolest guy in school. Yeah, Pink Pink is pretty cool. Pink is really cool. Um, He gets to basically live a life in, or experience life as a teen senior at this high school. And with the cool, you know, he's with all the football guys, he's with all the... He comes um, into his confidence. He comes into his confidence. He gets drunk for the first time. He He buys his own beer. Buys his own beer. Um, maybe has sex for the first time. Not obvious. I don't, obvious. Think, I don't so. think so either. But I, but at least has some sort of yeah. Hooks up with a super cute sophomore, Julie, and yeah. I think he has the best day of all of these characters. Yeah, personally. Um, just a. Did you see any shades of Tim Riggins in Floyd in um, Pink? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Again, like. Not the Texas long hair, Texas football. football loving, yeah, but not, not I'm not conforming to exactly. You. That is not my identity. I am, I have many layers to me. For those of you who don't know who Tim Riggins is, turn off this podcast. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> this is not for you. Okay. <laughs> um, something that we're gonna do every episode for Smiley Love Us is. We're going to give out some superlatives, which, if you are familiar with your but books, Did you go to high school? You probably were, you know, had a class clown or a best eyes or a best friend. Best eyes. You know, it's yeah. It's a creepy one. It is a creepy <laughs> one. My high school definitely haven't. Uh, I oh, believe did too. Leslie Numbers. Uh, shout out to Leslie with best eyes. And that holds true. She had, she had beautiful eyes. Shout out to Leslie. Shout out to Leslie. Sure you do. Much of the artwork in my apartment was made by Leslie. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Leslie. So we're going to give out some superlatives. We're also going to touch into um, our high school experience of sleepovers mm-hmm. and have some sleepover games. Yeah. Like, fuck, Mary kill. Yeah. And we're going to give out some awards, including prom, king, and queen. Um, but I want to start with the awards uh, that are have to do with um, what makes these specifically great or not so great teen movies yeah uh starting with what is the most true to life teen moment for you what ring the truest why don't you start why don't you um okay i mean going back to mitch i think mitch and sabrina's arc is the most true to life i think not only were they sabrina is the female kind of counterpart of mitch in his in the hazen journey she has like mitch she also has a very similarly great night in that the senior girls take her in and she gets to experience life in their crew, um, and she gets you know kissed by Tony and Tony, so sweet. Um, but I still think Mitch had a better day just because uh, guys just in general get to do whatever the fuck they want. <laughs> but um, 
I think their arc is the most true, true to Team Life. They seemed truly to be freshmen or incoming freshmen. It just felt yeah. it, they were cast the right age. Um, they just seemed the most uncomfortable in coming into it. Like, it just felt, that felt the most true to me. Yeah. I think this is a little off, but I do think that for as many meltdowns as there are in Empire Records, like, in real life, that many meltdowns would probably happen over, like, a semester or something. Mm -hmm. But the volatility of teen emotions in Empire Records is very true to life. And, like, the way that you treat people very, very badly, and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm sorry! Yes. Um, Gina and Corey getting into that huge fight, and then they have the fake funeral for Deb, and midway through the funeral, Corey's like, I just miss Gina. (laughs) That is, like, the most teen... Yes. What the hell are you talking about moment? Yes. Um, yeah. That was a moment in which I saw every fight I've ever had in that moment, Definitely. you know? Definitely. Uh, what about least true to, like, teen moment? What, what just, you know, in every teen movie, there's something that happens where you're like, that is so unrealistic. Yeah. That would never happen. I would say when Robin Tinney character Deb sells her Vespa for $1,900 and then gives the money to Joe. Joe. That's bizarre. Interesting, because mine is also Deb. Uh, There's there's a scene where Joe walks in to check on her, and she's like on a computer, and she's like, hey, Joe, I'm just filing this uh, quarterly income tax returns. It's like, what? Are you a CPA? Why would he allow you to do this? Oh my god. I'm, I mean, even if she's not in high school, like, she's clearly still a teen. Yeah. And, uh, she, Joe, you're a bad businessman. You should not be allowing right. Deb to do your taxes. She has, like, a super old school calculator and yeah. just, like, all of these papers yes. in a sound booth. Yes. Like, nothing about it is yeah. normal. So, good point. Yeah. That's a good one. I, also, Deb. I also just think Can Hardly Wait, in general, is, like, very much... I mean, they have crowd shots where you're like, oh, that guy's 35 years old. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That guy is pretty sure uh, that's the guy who pray- played uh, President Palmer on 24. Oh, my like, God. Like, this is, that man is fully 45. Um, I also think in Dazed and Confused, and Adam Goldberg's character, Mike, makes a comment about this in the hazing. He's mm-hmm. like, this is so weird that our entire town just goes along with this hazing and just, or at least turns a blind eye. Like, look, they're selling concessions. Yeah. And I think that, I don't know if Adam Goldberg had, like, fully become Adam Goldberg at this point in his career, mm-hmm. but it certainly is a very true-to-form performance by him. So you felt like confused. that their banter was unrealistic and just... No, no, I think that he shed a light or... Um, called to the forefront how unrealistic it is to have just like a day of mayhem that parents not only go along with but answer by pulling a shotgun on Ben Affleck oh, like sure. yeah. there's a lot of the hazing that feels a little over the top okay that's fair should we take a quick break and then come back with the superlatives yeah we're gonna take a quick break for our sponsors uh rosé and lacroix we're thirsty <laughs> we're back we're back with our beverages <laughs> oh, I should, which i um Need to put on the floor so I don't spill. <laughs> this is a roll of the pot as well. <laughs> I'm a known accident-prone person. <laughs> so uh, we need to give out two more awards. Three uh, more awards. We, we got a lot left to do. Yeah. Buckle up. Buckle up. 
<laughs> so every teen movie we have found has one character that is way too old to be playing a teenager. Yeah. This is most obvious in Greece, where Soccer Channing is a full 33 years old playing Rizzo, uh, who is great performance, amazing, but weird. Uh, so we're gonna, every episode, give the Soccer Channing Award for oldest teen, and, uh, drumroll, this is very fun, the oldest teen in these movies has got to be Coyote Shivers, who plays Virgo in Empire Records. Not only is he 30, but at the time of filming, he was Liv Tyler's stepfather. What? Yes. Oh my god. Yes. While they were filming, he was married to her mom, B.B. Buell. Liv Tyler has a lot of dads, <laughs> and Liv he Tyler does have a lot was of dads. one of them. So wow, I know. I was I wow. did not know that. So I don't know how long they were married for, but I found that to be very interesting. Wow, thank you for that. Play. You're welcome. And uh, we also have an award. I'll give out the um, first ever Peter Fasnelli Award. Um, Peter Fasnelli plays Mike Dexter, Dexter in Can Hardly Wait. Uh, and a few decades later, would go on to has had a, a quite full career, I would say, oh, yeah. lots of television shows. Um, but he would go on to be uh, play a parent in Twilight, which I guess technically he's not their parent because he's a vampire who like adopts them as vampires. But that's technicalities. The Peter Fascinelli Award goes out for graduating from a teen to a teen parent. Um, Which there are a lot. There are a lot of. So we will get to that, especially because teen movies of the current era love to be referential to past teen movies. So we see a lot of, a lot of that. So uh, congrats, Peter Fascinelli, for uh, being the namesake of this award. Yeah, absolutely. Some superlatives that we want to give out. Erin, did you have any superlatives when you were uh, oh in high school? Yes, Um, I didn't win any. I, so my high school had a journalism class that was run by the same teacher as that ran your book. And so I was in the journalism class and wrote for school paper and it was very closely aligned with the yearbook, like shared resources, space, whatever. And the nominations were like kind of, I forget how people were nominated because it wasn't like an open thing. But I was nominated for most dramatic, and I was, like, in protest. Like, I was like, that cannot be remotely true. And I didn't win. Someone who, like, was going to drama school won. But I know that not everyone listening to this podcast knows Aaron as intimately as I do, but Aaron being nominated for most dramatic and not winning is a very Aaron thing to have happen. <laughs> Um, especially to be, like, I lacked the self-awareness that, like, this would be something that would be brought upon me. Um, what about you, Blythe? I was voted class clown of my high school, which I was a little surprised at about I was surprised to hear this. Um, because I was, like, a pretty serious student, and I was kind of a nerd, and, but I, looking back on it, I did, I dressed up a lot for, like, Lord of the Rings premieres. I came fully dressed to school. Yeah, Aaron, I 
was so cool. Um, it might I, be cool though, like class clown was like very different than like nerd. Sure, which is maybe I don't know. I mean, I also I started a fake club at school. Yeah, let me hear a little more about this. Uh, it was called Score. It was named after the candy bar. Uh, my friend S K O R S K O R. It stood for success, knowledge, no organization, and reading. Uh, it was. We had a faculty sponsor, uh, we had t-shirts, we had a yearbook page, and anyone could be in it. Everyone had nicknames. We, did you meet? We did meet. We met in my basement. Oh uh, my god. We smoked a lot of weed and uh, just hung out, and it was great. And I think if anyone has a West High yearbook, they can see us. Um, it was a totally fake club. I had a great time. Amazing. Yeah. So I could kind of see why I was voted class clown. Yeah. Yeah. A much cooler class clown than uh, my high school. I, Aaron, if any of that made you think that I was cool, we have a very different understanding. You're cool now to me. <laughs> Good. Uh, um, yeah. So, so the superlatives we want to give out this pod are cutest couple that never was, most likely to succeed after high school, and best style. I'm going to keep it to three. Yeah. If that, if that works for you. Sure. So who for you is the cutest couple that never was? Um, I would say that Gina and anyone. Like, I think that Gina in Empire Records, like, I just think Renee Zellweger is fantastic in that movie. She is just so charming and, like, very emotionally raw. And I just think she's so cute. And I think that she could have dated anyone that she wanted. And I would have loved to see her have a relationship that wasn't with Rex Manning. That's, I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah I, I do want more Gina. Yeah. Like she was a really great character. Yeah. You also kind of forget that Renee Zellweger is in that movie sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, when you haven't seen it in a while, she doesn't register as, like, a top moment in, in any way. Here's a fun thread that I forgot to bring up earlier, is that Renee Zellweger is actually in Days and Confused for a mm. very hot second. She is who walks by when Matthew <gasps> McConaughey has his... You know what I like about high school girls speech. No way. Yes. She's barely in it. She's not credited at all. But I, I thought that was a really fun thing to learn about that movie. Because I, I assume other fun. than Rory Cochran, there wasn't a lot of... Um, yeah. Overlap between yeah. the two. For me, I actually... I was a little disappointed that we didn't get to see Floyd and Jody end up together. Because he technically... Starts a movie with Simone, Joy right. Lord, Laurie Adams' character, and then ends it with her. Yeah. And has, like, like you know, a flirtation with Jody, and they get to make out, but I I wanted them to see it through to the end, because I thought yeah. they were really good couple. And also, Simone is just kind of, like, I'm sure she has her own thing to figure out, but, like, she's just kind of like the girl in the car. Yeah. You know? And Jody also is my pick for best style. Wow. I was obsessed with her wardrobe in this movie. It's tons of denim. It's like the seventies flares. It's the high waist that you have to use pliers. Oh to yeah, zip that's up. the best. That's a good scene. scene. She and her hair. I was just like so into Jody. I was yeah. Jody's what a amazing. babe. What a babe. Um, my best style is meant in a bit of a different way. I'm gonna give it to Kenny. Oh. Um, wow. I think, yeah, I think that Kenny really speaks to um like a crazy era for men trying to figure out certain self-expression identity oh, no. politics um yeah and i think that seth green is like the perfect vehicle for us to see all of that on like i don't know if there's that many other actors who could necessarily like pull off how much 
shit he's wearing um, and, like, make it part of the performance and the character. Yes. Um, and, like, I, I just think, like, no one is ever going to try and replicate that style again. Like, it is a style of the 90s, and it, it like, that's it. It's one and done. Yes. And for most likely to succeed after high school, this is an interesting one that I really wanted to talk about because uh, William Lichter. William Lichter, it says at the end of the movie, Mm. has a software company worth $40 million. This is Can't Hardly Wait. He's the geek. And And dating a supermodel. And dating a supermodel. Whereas Mike Dexter, who he tries to um, humiliate by having lurid Polaroids taken of him with some jock in their underwear. Mm-hmm. There's a whole plot about him uh, using chloroform to basically. It's uh, horrible. It's bad. It's a bad um, plot. And because he gets drunk, he ends up being one of the guys that he, yeah. Peter Fascinelli is photographed with for these lurid Polaroids. And it says that Mike Dexter is fired from his job at the gas station or whatever because of some incriminating Polaroids. And I thought. If I'm Mike Dexter and these Polaroids come out, I am oh. blackmailing the shit out of this guy who's worth $40 million. You know, Blythe, I think had this movie been made in 2016 onward, that would certainly be the plot. But I think, you know, people didn't blackmail as much before the internet. <laughs> I guess. I think. Well, I also thought it was interesting that Can't Really Wait is the most recent of the films we discussed mm-hmm. and is also the most problematic in terms of homophobia, in terms yeah. of its treatment of women, yeah. in terms of its uh, characters of color. Like, what were we doing Can't Hardly Wait? I mean, you have... And I'm not saying that American Graffiti, all they, they are all problematic in their own ways and have some issues, but Empire Records was just a few years before and, like, has seemingly has no issues with homosexuality. I mean, they, they say fag in... Uh, yeah, can't, can't really wait. And it's like a, a big theme is that, oh, Mike Dexter being, you know, right. photographed with his underwear is going to be a huge deal. And it was like very disappointing. Very it disappointing. It was disappointing. That's what's bad. So, who do you think is most likely to succeed? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Kurt. Yeah. We love Kurt. I love Kurt. Um, I also think. Mm-hmm. Also got that, you know, those low, low mortgages. Yeah. I also, real estate. I also think that uh, for a lot of these characters, we don't really find out what their definition of success is, like, outside of either their parents or, like, the immediate moment. Um, I think there's a lot of other teen movies in which, like, the driving force is, like, overcoming XYZ or, like, getting out of your town or, like, achieving something like there's more of a catalyst towards success in some other teen movies whereas this is like just a slice of a life one day um so yeah I mean Kurt like achieved what he set out to do um Preston did as well um but I think Denise is definitely the most successful oh cool yeah all right I like Denise just like left she just like did her own thing which she's doing her own thing in this movie as well. Yeah. But I think Denise is, like, a normal person. Awesome. Um, who would you say is your biggest crush coming out of these four films? I mean, on rewatch, it's very clear that Richard Dreyfuss is my biggest <laughs> crush. 
Uh, news to me as of this morning, apparently. Um, but I, when I wa- uh, was younger, I mean, certainly AJ from Empire Records. Yeah. Like when I was younger, yeah, he was like, yeah. It. He's designed to be a crush in yeah. that movie. Um, and I also think like Ethan Embry was like a present crush throughout pop culture. Mm-hmm. For like, he just kind of pops up, and he's always so charming. He's so charming in, I mean, he's not meant to be the crush in that thing you do, but it's really hard not to love him in that thing you do. Yes, yes. Yeah. A movie we probably won't end up discussing. No. Because it's a nice mention. Um, Yeah, I agree. AJ was, when I was watching these films, um, in my youth, was certainly my crush, but today I was just like, it's got to be Floyd. Oh, yeah, total babe. And he's like so nice to the freshmen. Like you know, he gives them a hard time, but then he's like, it'd be really cool if you just came up and showed him this didn't bother you. He's friends with everybody. Yeah, days are confused is like weirdly kinder than I remembered it. Definitely, and he's also my pick for prom king. Oh yeah, he's definitely prom king. Who's your prom queen? My prom queen. I gotta give it to Parker Posey. Oh wow, she gave us this podcast. Um, Also, I think. I would be too intimidated by her not to vote for her. I feel yeah, like she's yeah. like... she'd be like, you're voting for she's me! She's like Daenerys Targaryen. She <laughs> inspires fear as well as awe. Admiration. Yes. Yeah. Um, so he would be... I I hate to pick two people from the same movie, but they, that's just... Shout yeah. out to Richard Linklater doing a phenomenal job of making two queens that I love. Amazing. Any pick for you for prom queen and queen? I'm like pretty thrilled. Besides Richard Dreyfuss and everything. No, no, no. I actually think that Cindy Williams and Ron Howard are great prom kings and queens because I think that to them it matters so much. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of how I see them. I would also like to see um, like Corey as prom queen because I think that that would really matter to her yes, too. Yes, for sure. She wants um, it. And I would also like to see if I had a time travel machine jerry o'connell's character as prom king in can hardly wait oh interesting yeah okay. he's got that very like you want to see the the arc you want to see what yeah. happened to him before he yeah okay. yeah interesting like um that. but that will never be so we neglected to do this earlier uh we were supposed to give out the award for best get out of my room oh, speech we unfortunately had this conversation off yeah so sorry but we do think that's an important part of any teen movie is that there is a point where an emotional break an emotional break where whether they're yelling at their stepdad that they're not their real father or (laughs) whatever it may be um we think that that award needs to be present in these films as it is an important through line and we are we are unified in our answer it's gotta be Corey. yeah she has two great ones but First she has, I'm bringing Rex's lunch! Yeah, so that, we might need to edit out the way that that was just said. So first she does insist that they bring Rex's lunch. Because she wants to have sex, sex with, with him, Rex. which is yeah. so, so troubling. So you kind of see a glimpse that she's kooky. And then she has a breakdown that says Gina sleeps with Rex. Is that what brings it on? Yeah, yeah. And it's huge, and she like goes out to the record store and starts like breaking things, and She's, Mark yeah. has to like contain her, which is yeah. hilarious. Yes. And then no, Deb, it's not fine. Nothing's fine. Everything's yeah. not fine. And then it escalates, and she gets yeah. to a register that Aaron won't allow me to do. Yeah, she's loud, probably for the best. 
and then it ends with um, Deb dunking her face in the sink, which, like, I think that was the beginning of my recognition that, like, splashing cold water in your face does work to calm mm-hmm. you down. Because, like, you always see it as kind of like a slapstick gimmick yeah. for other meltdowns, and in this movie it's like, oh, that really helped Corey calm down. Yeah. And now she doesn't need speed. Great. <laughs> Everyone just stay hydrated. That's, stay hydrated. That's, yeah. that's the moral. Um, is there anything you want to touch on that we haven't that you want to... Yeah, well, I think it's time to play our last little game. Oh, right on. Uh, apologies to my family listening for the vulgarity. Uh, Aaron was raised by nuns. I was not, but almost. <laughs> <laughs> um, fuck, Mary kill. A classic sleepover game. Um, really interchangeable. We yeah. have a lot of options here. So many options. Uh, Aaron, you these are start? so. So I'm gonna present life with three options, and they are new to her. Like we haven't rehearsed this. We haven't rehearsed any of this. So as you can tell, it was um, not obvious. So I decided to go the route of picking three very nice guys. So I decided to go Kurt, Pink. Okay, um, I'm gonna kill Preston. <laughs> I think I on a rewatch, I found him to be so annoying, yeah. um, endearing, but also just such a. I just know his type so well. Like yeah. This, you know, really thinks of himself as like a really nice intellectual guy, but he wears a lot of jewelry. It's just like He's got a lot of thoughts, no. feelings. Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna kill Preston. Yeah. Um, I'm going to fuck. Pink, and I'm going to marry Kurt. Yeah, it's a pretty easy one. Yeah, now that I said it. I was not as nice to Aaron. I gave. I'm, I'm giving so Aaron uh, Rex Manning. Oh, creepy teacher from American oh, Graffiti no! and Slater from Days and Confused. Which one's Slater again? Uh, Roy Cochran. The... Oh, hey man. Um, I'd probably marry him. Okay. I'd kill the teacher because, yeah. like, you gotta get creeps yeah. out of the world. For sure. And I guess I'd have sex with Rex Manning. Okay. Which is disgusting. Hey, he was really hot in the family way, apparently. I don't want to marry Rex Manning. No, God, no. Or the creepy teacher. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, like, that made Slater a really easy pick. Those are good. Those are good. uh... Um, Slate, while we're on the topic of Rex Manning, do you have a Rex Manning impersonation that you've been, like, withholding? So, I think that... uh, the Oh Rexy, you're so sexy. Oh that yeah, song is phenomenal. Um, I was practicing it all day. You've been I practicing. Think, I think I have a really good. Okay. Call me on your car phone with your je ne sais quoi. <laughs> you say you need a little of my ooh la la. I know you get lonely in oh your canopy bed. But say no more, baby. I'll be running everywhere. Say no more. Oh my god. Money more. I wish I could do it at karaoke. I think I would kill it. I don't think that they have Say No More, Money More on karaoke, but I do <sighs> think that that was great. And what I you can all dream. couldn't see is Life had like I did hand motion. I did the whole, you know, dancing. he does the one. They yeah. filmed a whole music video for that. Yeah. Which is incredible. amazing. I love that. I don't think I have any else to cover in this episode i'm really really excited uh to continue doing this podcast yeah so next week um we're not gonna tell you what it is yet we're gonna tease that out on our instagram account Follow smile us. you love us pod um we can give you two little hints though we're talking about 
two of our two of my favorite heartthrobs, among others, next week, Freddie Prince Jr. and Noah Centineo. Oh my god. Two two teen idols of a different era, yeah. but just equally wonderful. Yeah, a lot of um friends and I have talked about is Noah Centineo taking the the crown from Freddie Prince Jr. Um, we'll talk about that next week. I don't think that that crown can ever be taken. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with more superlatives, more prom king queen nominations, and more clean talk. Teen life. Love it. Hashtag teen. Hashtag teen life. We will get to Rob Lowe. Don't worry. Don't, don't you fear. He is the king of teens. Happy Rex Manning Day! Bye!